Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Dr. Susan Knowles, a Digital Humanities Fellow at the Center for Historic Preservation, wrote her dissertation on Tennessee marble in civic architecture. She created an exhibit on East Tennessee's marble history that was displayed at the Museum of East Tennessee History. Researching marble history wasn't always easy, though, and Dr. Knowles will explain why after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU alum Ronald Roberts was recently elected as the new president of the MTSU Foundation, while four other alumni were appointed as new members of the MTSU Foundation Board of Trustees. Roberts, a managing partner of DVL Siegenthaler Public Relations, will serve a two-year term as president that ends in June 2024. Newly appointed trustees Michael Gaines, an agent with State Farm, Ramsey Hassan, transportation business owner, Mike Ussery, president and COO of National Healthcare Corporation, and Nashville attorney Luther Wright will serve three-year terms that began July 1st. And public servants and others can get a financial boost when enrolling in one of MTSU's newest programs this fall. Announced this spring, the new public safety concentration in the Integrated Studies major is designed for those in law enforcement, homeland security, emergency management, fire safety, dispatch, and other public service professions at the local, state, and federal levels. Classes for the concentration begin this fall. The first 50 students to enroll will receive scholarships of $500 each. The degree will give students of public safety an opportunity to learn and build upon important knowledge and skills in key areas directly tied to their work. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Susan, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jenna. It's a pleasure. How did you become interested in the Tennessee marble industry? My background is in art history and particularly architectural history. And so I had an opportunity to apply for and did actually receive a fellowship from the U.S. Capitol Historical Society. And I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, and my mother at that point was aging and moving out of her house and moving over to Northwest Washington. So I applied for this short-term fellowship and I went up and did research on site at the U.S. Capitol looking for connections. I thought it was going to be primarily portraits and sculpture. The very first day they said, we're really interested in learning more about Tennessee marble. We have a lot of it in this building. So the interior use of Tennessee marble at the U.S. Capitol was something I'd never heard about. I didn't know we had a Tennessee marble industry, even though my mother's family for many generations is from Tennessee. And so I thought, oh, the U.S. Capitol Architect's office has voluminous records going back to way back. And I have access to these. And I thought, I will take a look at this. And when I came back to Tennessee, I had a lot of ideas and I had photocopies and notes. And I came down and I talked to Dr. Carol Van West at MTSU. And he said, oh, well, you know, we could give you a little short-term fellowship here at the center. That was the beginning. He made a place for me. I'm a museum curator and I had worked on projects and worked at museums 
and around Nashville and statewide projects and so forth. But here was something, was my idea, and it was something I found support for. I'm really grateful to Dr. West and to MTSU. And then ultimately, I decided to enter the public history program. This then became my dissertation. For those of us who might not have seen it or might not have known that they'd seen it, tell us what makes Tennessee marble so special aesthetically. This marble was a favorite of the Victorian era, which is the time when those two wings were built onto the U.S. Capitol, 1850s, because on an interior use, it's very decorative. The marble that they first used, that they liked, was, uh, they call it uh, chocolate or cedar. It's a reddish brown with a white figuration in it really decorative, makes beautiful wainscoting, marble mantelpieces, windowsills, that kind of thing, tabletops. And then the marble, because it's it beds in layers, there is a lighter color that's a buff color that they call pink. And it comes in darker shade of pink. If it gets wet, it looks pinkish. But if it's dry, it can look almost white. That was used later on for exteriors. And then depending on the mineral content, there also can be beautiful kind of green and with maroon figuration in it. I mean, and so it's unusual in that. What we don't have here is a bright white. We don't have a pure white marble. Many would say, geologists would say it's not a true marble. It's a limestone. They all, all marbles are limestone. They all have the same chemical makeup, but it has to do with what's happened to it, you know, in terms of its geological life. We do have some, the lighter color is very crystalline in its look and texture. It is very close to, because of pressure, a pure marble, but geologists would argue it doesn't quite qualify for that, but architects call it marble use it as marble. When you hone the surface, it closes it up and so that it's stain resistant. And so it's a great material for a lot of uses and particularly for steps. There's a gray with kind of a gray veining in it that is widely used for lobbies of banks, of courthouses, bathrooms, bathroom stalls. I'm sure there's some of it in some of the older buildings at MTSU because it was really a, you know, a great material to use and required very little maintenance. You just had to clean it. For all those reasons, um, it became a very desirable material, both for decorative purposes and for buildings. And aren't there some other buildings besides the U.S. Capitol buildings of note that have used it? I think there's a little bit of it in the Washington Monument. Is that right? Many people will have noticed that the Washington Monument is two colors of white marble. Now, that's the exterior, and it came from uh, Maryland and Massachusetts, I believe. But what's on the interior are these memorial stones. I believe they are two feet tall by four feet wide and maybe two inches deep. And the original idea was they were going to move his tomb from Mount Vernon to there. They didn't. But the monument, it was a fundraising scheme where they had a representative of each state and they solicited 
contributions and people got an engraving of the design for their contribution. But each state was asked to submit an official memorial stone. And these stones are embedded in the walls. And so we have, in fact, three from Tennessee. But the official stone was requested from Hawkins County, Rogersville area, by the state geologist and the governor. And so they sent a block of this pink marble as a sample and said, and it has written on it, Hawkins County, Tennessee. And so the people in Washington really liked that. And they said, okay, this is what we want for the official stone. Now put a quotation on it or whatever you want for the official thing. So our official stone has a quotation from Andrew Jackson and it's the federal union. It must be preserved. So this is right before the civil war. Jackson's dead, but this is a famous quote from him from the 1830s. Used to be when I was a little girl, you could walk up the stairs if you had the stamina. You can't now, but a ranger will take you on an elevator and the elevator has clear windows in it and they'll stop and show you the ones you want to see. We'll take a break right here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the history of Tennessee Marble with Dr. Susan Knowles, who is a Digital Humanities Fellow at the Center for Historic Preservation. She wrote her dissertation on Tennessee Marble and Civic Architecture. Susan, why did you have to go to the Tennessee Supreme Court records to find out more about the marble industry? One of the exciting but also challenging parts of doing this research is there's very little written in previous histories of Tennessee. There's very little written in the national histories since then. Um, In trying to find information on this, I was looking everywhere I could, and I was looking at geological bulletins and maps because the geologists were quite interested in this from early on, including our very first geologist, Gerard Troost in the 1830s. He's the one who really pointed out we had this gorgeous marble that he said rivals any you would find in Italy. But another source, when I went to the State Library and Archives and said, I'm interested in this, do you have anything related to the U.S. Capitol? And I knew too that this Tennessee State Capitol has a beautiful East Tennessee marble staircase. The grand staircase there is like the three in the U.S. Capitol, both staircases on the House side and one of the staircases on the Senate side are Tennessee marble. And those 
wings being added to the Capitol in Washington were being done at the same time as our Tennessee state Capitol was being built. And the two architects knew each other. I thought, okay, I'll look at the Tennessee state Capitol building records too and see what I can find. And what I did find is there's some correspondences between other things that they ordered for our Tennessee state Capitol that were also like the gasolier light fixtures and things like that being ordered from Philadelphia, same suppliers, same time period. And I talked to Dr. Wayne Moore, who at the time was a deputy archivist at the State Library and Archives. And he said, you know, sometimes when there's not a lot of published history, if you can get to court cases, you know, you start to find in depositions and testimony, a lot of information that never makes it into a published history, but it will tell you a lot about what's going on in that moment, what's happening. I went up to the Hawkins County Archive early on looking for information related to the marble that went to the U.S. Capitol because it came from Hawkins County, the interior marble there, and then to Knox County, and then, of course, the State Library and Archives. They have the records of the Tennessee Supreme Court And they were just processing them. They still are. It's a huge job. They were stored in the attic of the Capitol at one point and all. So they're covered with dust and they've been folded up and tied together. And so the archivists there are doing this very, very meticulous, careful cleaning and making sure that as they unfold, you know, it doesn't tear. You have to be real slow. There is an online search tool on the Tennessee State Library and Archives website for the Supreme Court files. They're not all online. They never will be probably because that would be an enormous thing, but you can go in and search by date. You can search by name. You can search by subject. After I finished my dissertation, I have notes even still from going into those archives that I wasn't able to pursue because it wasn't really relevant right at that moment to get deep into these cases. I have since written one article and I'm working on a second one. I wrote an article about some Knox County uh, lawsuits and I'm working on one that's Hawkins County now that is more directly connected to the U.S. Capitol. When I finished my dissertation, we decided to apply to the Tennessee Historical Commission for money to do a survey of what's left of the marble industry across the state. And so this this is what you do and leads to what's called a multiple properties nomination to the National Register of Historic Places. Dr. West is a real leader in this and that he's written some of these multiple property nominations. You then attach some examples of individual nominations that prove it, that you've said, these are the kinds of things you would find in a, and in this case, something that used to be a marble business with a quarry, with a shop, with a a factory. We had a series of public meetings to gather information, to tell people what we were learning, what we knew, what we had found on historic maps. And this is where I started working with MTSU's GIS lab and my colleague Zeta Law. She has a background in archaeology. She's also a public historian. She is a GIS expert. Some of my best information was on these old geological maps. So she helped me overlay them on current geography and then other maps that we had, maps of Knox County that show some of the quarries in the 1880s when it was really starting to gear up into a huge industry over there. And so we went around and talked to people. When you show people a map, 
lot of times they'll say, you know, I know exactly where that is. Or, oh, and one man in Knoxville came up and he said, well, this is my property. He said, I'd be happy to show you my property deeds. In his property deeds, there was a mention of one of the boundaries of his property that was defined by a Tennessee Supreme Court case. Then I had one to go and look up and find what I could find. One thing about these Supreme Court cases is the whole thing may not be there. There are always appeals of earlier cases, of cases that were brought in the lower courts. And sometimes they get sent back. So like then there's another hearing in Knoxville and they decide to, you know, let them appeal that. And so this one that I wrote the article for the Journal of East Tennessee History went back and forth. It went on for probably close to 15 years with some different players even. It kind of started out one thing. It led to the building of the Memphis Customs House right after the Civil War, which was first spec to be marble. And then in the Congress, and then here you go to the congressional record to see the debate where the Tennessee Congress people stood up and said, well, we want a Tennessee marble. We want it to represent our native stone. And so there was a debate. It was going to cost more money. They managed to get it appropriated. They managed to undo the original contract with the people that were supposed to supply it. And then it created an opportunity for these people over in Knoxville who jumped on this to be one of the suppliers. There's a lot of fascinating detail about the way things were done. And these intermediaries, there's a subcontract and somebody's got the political connections. And so these court cases can lead you someplace you had no idea. What were the origins of the Tennessee marble industry like? I mean, was it analogous to, say, the California gold rush in trying to make money off of some sort of a natural resource that they discovered? Or was it more measured than that? It's harder work. You know, you've got to have some expertise to be able to get this stone. But it was to the people who were entrepreneurial thinkers and certainly the Tennessee legislature who hired Dr. Gerard Troost in the 1830s. He was an expert in two or three different fields like people were back then. You know, I think he came to the University of Nashville maybe to teach chemistry. He had a geology interest. And he talked his way into getting appointed the state, first state geologist, by talking to the legislators about how we can develop the resources in this state. And as we start to plan the railroads, this is important to know because this is where you're going to put them and how are you going to transport things. And both South Carolina and North Carolina already had done state geological surveys or they were doing them. One of his early visits was up to Hawkins County and the other counties in East Tennessee. And so it wasn't just in Hawkins. He said, there is marble here of the finest quality. But he also, I mean, they were looking for gold. They were looking for everything. This is what the state and the founding of the Division of Geology, really important in the early time. And they called it the Holston marble. And so you can look on geological maps and you can see where, you know, where it would be a good idea maybe to open a quarry. So, but all of this was going hand in hand. People were finding it on their property. And we have early stone houses in East Tennessee. The Ramsey House in Knoxville is a good example. It's pink marble. 
We'll take our next break right here. This is MTSU on the Wreck. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Dr. Susan Knowles is our guest. She's a Digital Humanities Fellow at the Center for Historic Preservation. We're talking about the history of Tennessee marble and the industry that grew up around it in East Tennessee. What is the status of the Tennessee marble industry today? Well, it's undergone kind of a revival, I'd say. There's only one operating company that's the sole source now, and it's in Friendsville, Tennessee, the Tennessee Marble Company. The president, Monica Gowett, is from a marble family in Vermont. Her father and brothers encouraged her and her husband to get involved in the early 90s. She now owns the operating quarries around Knoxville. Um, They're not many. I mean, most of these now are closed. And at a certain point, we did a survey of what's left. It led to putting two former important quarries on the National Register of Historic Places. And these are places people can go in Knoxville. They're now part of Imes Nature Center. So the former Mead Quarry and the former Ross Quarry. And so you can walk down in there and you can see marble and it's that buff color that looks almost white. The National Gallery of Art in Washington, that marble came from the same place. So Monica Gowett, who's the president of Tennessee Marble Company, has done some enormous projects. When she came in, Grand Central Terminal was being redone interior and the floors there, Tennessee Pink Marble. So that was her first big job, I think, to go and refurbish and provide if there were cracked and missing flooring. She's worked at the Hermitage Hotel in Nashville, which also has a lot of pink marble in the interior. But the industry basically started to wind down during the Depression. That's when Andrew Mellon, former Treasury Secretary of the United States, wanted to build the National Gallery of Art as a gift to the American people. So he sent somebody down to Knoxville to look for it. And this man, the man who came down to look for it, Malcolm Rice, was a young architecture graduate from Yale. He ended up being the UT architect later on. The Mellon Foundation, Andrew Mellon, a lot of money, industrialist, They managed to bring a couple of these companies out of bankruptcy. They wanted to get this National Gallery of Art built quickly. I mean, this was lawyer negotiated. Probably five companies were involved in getting this done, and they all had performance contracts, and they were going to do it on time and on schedule. And so that whole history, the Mellon Archives, is at the National Gallery of Art. It's a magnificent project. So that was 1940. In the 80s, when they built the new wing of the National Gallery of Art, which I.M. Pei designed, they wanted the same marble. So it 
happened again. And so at this point, Malcolm Rice is up in years. He's retired. He's the man. Candoro Marble Company, John J. Craig Marble Company was kind of the lead and they used it again. And so when you go to Washington, you can look at both of those exteriors and realize it all came from Knox County and Blunt. Friendsville area has some of the same vein. According to what I found online, it can cost you around $25 a square foot. Is the market still for buildings for public use today, or do you have a lot of private concerns wanting it for their homes or other purposes? Now it's a desirable American-made product. I think there's a big market. And there's been a lot of recognition and awareness. I mean, we have now in Knoxville, well, there used to be a neighborhood that called itself, maybe it called itself Marble City. It was just a, it was a workers area of Knoxville, but Chamber of Commerce used it back in the like 1880s. We found a little brochure that talked about it, but it had all been kind of forgotten. But now if you query Marble City, you'll see a lot of branding around that, all kinds of beer and ice cream and other things. The rise in luxury building, like we see all over Tennessee right now, does mean there's a demand to have these fancier floors, counters, bathrooms. I mean, it's a beautiful, finite resource, which is not to say we're going to run out of it in the next two to three years. It's not going to be around forever. It's not inexhaustible. That is so true. It's a very valuable resource. And every once in a while, a friend who does estate sales and stuff like that will let me know that she's got a piece if I could use it to like make a shelf out of or something like that. But it's worth doing if you want a piece of it, you know, look around and you can find one of these kitchen places that are doing granite and just get them to make you a tabletop, make you a shelf. And if you can't afford it and you want to see some of it for free, I believe our own MTSU geologist, Alan Brown, has some samples of it in his Natural History Museum in Murfreesboro. I mean, I go around and look at post offices from the 20s and 30s, and a lot of them use Tennessee marble. If I'm traveling, I go and look at banks of the right period, because all these architects loved it and used it. A railway terminals for floors, libraries for steps. But when you go to Nashville, the Tennessee Supreme Court building has a beautiful lobby that's um, exquisite marbles, and they used all the best quality ones they could find. And those came from Knox County, because we know the company that is still in business who did that, Rock City Marble, I believe is the name of it. It's in Franklin. And that's one of the things I guess I've taken from Dr. Carol Van West as always place names, road signs, all of those kinds of things. There's a light pink road in Blunt County that leads right to a pink marble quarry. Keep your eye out. Dr. Susan Knowles from the Center for Historic Preservation. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Jenna. We'll be right back. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. 
UIH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. MTSU's College of Education partnered with Murfreesboro City Schools to put on math literacy training for MCS teachers called Project Optimal. An instructor and math education professor, Jeremy Winters, explained the purpose of the training. A few years ago, the state uh, released four uh, math literacy standards. And so our goal is to try to help them understand how to take these uh, four standards from the state and integrate them into their math instruction. It's kind of a seamless process uh, in terms of their day-to-day instruction with the students. And when they do this, it's going to allow their students to have more access to jobs that aren't just necessarily math jobs because now they're seeing how to communicate, write, work with vocabulary within a discipline that will also help them outside that discipline. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com, Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.